0: Well, good evening gathering, it is good to be back with you again today. Uh, Man, I just I love that set, guys, that was fantastic. the, The song that rang true with me tonight was, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this world will grow slowly dim. Man, I need that. Because I don't know about you, but when I look around this world, especially today, this week, this month, as I look around the world, what I see Is worry. What I see is infighting when we need unity. What I see is kind of hopeless. When I look at this world, when I put my eyes on the things of this world, it feels hopeless. And so today, as I sing these songs, I'm so thankful and I have a renewed gratefulness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what the Bible tells me, what the Bible tells us, is that this world is not the best that it gets. That our hope, that that this feeling that we have of just like, is this it? Isn't it? And so I'm so thankful for my faith in Jesus Christ, who says this is not the pinnacle of all existence, but I'm with you in it. And so tonight... As Mary Ashton said earlier, we're going to jump into our new series, A Living Hope. And we're going to look through the, the book of First Peter. And uh, this kind of got birthed out just a couple weeks ago on the fly as we were talking about our M&M challenge, which I hope that you guys are participating in. Uh, M&M stands for marinate and memorize. And we wanted to think, you know, if, if we're going to walk out of this season, however long it may be, how awesome would it be that we walk out of this season with a book or a chapter of the Bible memorized. And so I hope you join with us in memorizing 1 Peter chapter one. But for uh, tonight, here's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about regardless of our circumstances, our hope is found in God. Regardless of our circumstances, our hope, as Christians, is not found in anything but God. And Peter's gonna write about this very thing as he kicks off his book or his letter. If you want to turn your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. It's towards the very end of the Bible. Um, If you want to go to the table of contents, that is fine. No one will judge you. In fact, no one can even see you. So go to the table of contents and, and join us in 1 Peter. As you do, let me give us a little setup of the text. Peter is a pretty big deal. He is one of the main disciples. In fact, he's in the inner circle with Jesus, and I just wrote down a couple of fun facts about Peter, that Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than anyone outside of Jesus. No one speaks in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as often as Peter did. Jesus spoke more to Peter than any other individual. Jesus rebuked Peter than any other disciple, probably because he spoke more to Peter. And Peter, in as much as we love him, was the only disciple who dared rebuke Jesus, which did not go well for him. But man, I love Peter. I love Peter. In our Sunday school class here at Crossings, we've been like marinating in all things Peter over the last year. And so it's fun to be back in 1 Peter. But the reasons I love Peter I think is Number one, because he's a man of passion and excitement. Like He's the one that jumps out of the boat and runs to the shore to see Jesus. He's the one that tells Jesus, tell me to come out to you. I want to walk on the water. He's passionate. He's talkative. And because he's talkative, there's several moments throughout the Gospels where he just says some really stupid and pretty hilarious things. I love Peter. But this letter was written in the early 60s A.D., most likely from uh, Rome, where in just a few short years, Peter would actually be martyred for his faith in Jesus. He's writing to Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, all throughout the province of what is now modern-day Turkey. And he's written, writing them during a time when Christians were being persecuted, simply because they identify with Jesus. At this time, they didn't, there was no state-sponsored persecution. That would come later with the emperor Nero who's infamous for the way that he tortured and killed Christians. But we weren't there yet. But they could kind of feel the rumblings and the beginnings of the persecutions happening. And so Peter writes to them. Because as this new religious sect called Christianity, or the way, it seemed to threaten the very fabric of the religion, religious and cultural uh, fabric of both Rome, and the Jewish societies. Because these Christians, they refused to worship the Roman gods. They had an exclusive message of salvation. They rejected the sexual promiscuity of the culture. They had different worship practices than the culture. And to no one's surprise now, but to then, then it was surprising that these people actually tried to win people to their God and to their way of life. You see, they were living life very differently than their religious or cultural society would say they should. And so they were being persecuted. I think it's interesting, just a couple months ago, we went through the book of Colossians, and Paul is writing to the church in Colossae for a lot of the same reasons. They're being persecuted. They're suffering because of their faith. It's kind of a theme that we start to see through scripture. It's like Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world You see, the Christians to whom Peter wrote were exiles. That's what he refers to them as, exiles in the world that they once called home because now their citizenship is in heaven. And so, yes, they still live in the same towns and the same neighborhoods next to the same people, but they're exiles. This is not their home. And just like us, our citizenship as Christians is in heaven. And so, yes, we can live in this world. We can have fun in this world. We can enjoy the moments and we can experience life here, but this is not the pinnacle because our citizenship one day will be with Jesus. And so this letter of 1 Peter is a letter for today as it was for the early church. You see, Peter was preparing them to live with hope in the midst of hardship. And that hardship for them was persecution and suffering. And I think this backdrop of this book may start to sound a little bit Familiar and, and, uh, to us. Because I believe we live in a day where there's every indication that the time is approaching and may in many ways already be here when it will cost us greatly to stand with Christ. It may cost us a job. It may cost us a relationship. It may cost us a reputation. It may cost us freedoms. It may cost us. But let's be honest. We're not under physical suffering at this moment, because of our faith. But when we are faced with hardship or suffering, just think about the last month, it's easy to lose hope, especially when we don't see an end to the hardship. But that's why Peter's writing this letter, and that's why I'm so excited to bring this series to the gathering, is because we're in a a moment of hardship, and Peter's writing to them because they're in a moment of hardship. And he's writing to give them hope in the midst of that hardship. You see, Peter is the apostle of hope. If Paul is the apostle of faith, Peter is the apostle of hope. And Peter is going to, during, throughout this letter, equip us to stand firm in our faith and have a helpful and hopeful perspective in the midst of hardship. So let's read. We're only gonna do two verses tonight. We're gonna go nice and slow but this is just a simple greeting at first glance. The first two verses are just kinda, of hey, this is Peter, this is who I am, I'm writing to you. But man, there's, there is some theological richness in these first two verses that we're gonna camp out in tonight. So 1 Peter 1, verse one and two. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiled throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. So my first point tonight is that you can always have hope because you have been chosen by the Father. You can always have hope, regardless of the circumstance, because you have been chosen by God the Father. Says to God's elect, exiled throughout the provinces, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You see, He doesn't address them according to their behavior, He doesn't address them according to their ethnic uh, background, He doesn't address them according to their economic status, whether they're rich or they're wealthy or, or poor or whatever. He doesn't talk to them about their social status, He identifies them as chosen. It's not on their own merit. Look at Ephesians 1, four through five. Paul writes the same thing, says, for he, God, chose us in him, Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. I love this part. In accordance with his pleasure and will. You see, we're chosen by the Father, not on our own merit, but because it was his pleasure and will to do so. Now this is a big conversation. I just read some words that just start, maybe in your heart and mind, just start popping some some, uh, some red flags like whoa, 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 whoa. Elect, chosen, adoption, predestined, those are all big words and have over the centuries caused a lot of healthy debate uh, between Christians. And the Christians have always understood this election thing in two different ways. Um, But we're not going to get into that. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that tonight. Because I feel like that might be a little bit of a left-hand or right-hand turn that might derail us for tonight. But for right now, for this moment, whether you believe in one way or the other, of how God chooses and who he chooses, right? whether you're Calvinist or Arminian, whatever it may be, whether you believe in unconditional election or conditional election, both parties agree on this point. It is God that chooses you. It's God that chooses you. We didn't choose him, he chose us. And so regardless of the circumstances of our life, or of our day, we can find hope in knowing that God calls you chosen. How incredible is that, that the creator of the entire universe, who made the stars and the sun and the black holes and the ants and the worms and the wind and the mountains and the oceans, chose you in Christ to be with him. I love Ephesians 1. He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. That word foreknew, he knew you. He foreknew you before anyone thought of you, before anyone thought of your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents. God knew you, and he knew me, and he chose you in Christ to be adopted to the sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You see, regardless of our circumstances, we can find hope in that God has chosen you. Secondly, you can always have hope because you have been set apart by the Holy Spirit. He, Paul, uh, Peter continues. He says, though through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Christ, right, that you, you were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus. You see, this Holy Spirit sets us apart, not just from something, but for something. And those who are reading this letter or hearing this letter are gonna feel this on a deep level, right? Because what, what I say before, earlier, as we set this whole thing up, that the people of this day that were receiving this letter as Christians scattered about the provinces of Pontus Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, they were being persecuted because they wouldn't engage in pagan worship, because they wouldn't bow down to the gods of Rome, because they wouldn't accept and take part in the sexual promiscuity of the culture because they had been set apart. They were holy. Set apart, And that's the activity of the Holy Spirit. God has chosen you. The Holy, Holy Spirit sets you apart for a reason and for a purpose. I'm kind of silly and simple sometimes. And the things that come in my mind as I think about scripture. And when I thought about this idea of being chosen and the Holy Spirit setting us apart and sanctifying us, I thought of the pumpkin patch. Because every fall, I take my kids, we go out to Edmond, out past pops to this this pumpkin place. And the kids play and they have a great time. There's swings. We take a crazy amount of pictures and we post them. You've probably all seen them. But at the end of the day, we're walking out and everybody gets to choose a pumpkin. And so we kind of look through the piles and piles of pumpkins. And lo and behold, slowly but surely, every one of my children, they choose a pumpkin. And they set it aside from all the others for a purpose to make a jack o' lantern, or to paint it, or for some of my boys to hit it with a baseball bat. (laughs) But it's set aside. It's set aside for a purpose. And here we have a purpose. What is that purpose for the Christian? It says, You have been chosen, set apart by the Holy Spirit for a reason to be obedient to Jesus Christ. You have been set aside. You have been sanctified to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Now, I know this word obedient, This always eh, it's hard for us to hear. We're Americans, after all. We have freedom. We can do what we want, right? Don't tell me what to do. That's kind of our DNA of our country is freedom. I can do what I want to do whenever I want to do it because I'm an American. But that's where our citizenship in heaven overtakes our citizenship of this nation is that we are chosen. We are set apart to be obedient to Jesus. And obedience is hard. It's humbling. And I don't know about you, but usually it's not, I don't have to obey the things I want to do. I have to obey the things I don't really feel like doing. So, the first initial, there's a twofold obedience here. I think the first obedience, the initial act of obedience, is obedience to the gospel. That is repenting and believing and trusting in Jesus. That's the first step of obedience. To recognize that Jesus Christ has been sent from God to pay the price for our sin. And Jesus says, Follow me. And so our first step of obedience is to the gospel itself, to repent and trust Jesus. And again, this is always hard. Because even in in, in giving my life to Christ on a daily basis, I have to admit that I can't. I can't do it. I can't live the life that I'm called to lead by myself. I can't be my own savior. I can't do it. I can't earn it. That's why I love the Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus into his sonship. It's all him. It's all him. And so first, we need to be obedient to the gospel by repenting and trusting Jesus. And then secondly, we are set apart, we are sanctified to be different, to, to obey Jesus. You have, you have a different authority, right? That's the problem of, of, of the, uh, the, the, the Christians in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They're being persecuted. Right? They're feeling hopeless. They're like, I've got this new thing going with, with Jesus and people are making fun of me and they're, they're ridiculing me, they're mocking me, they don't like me, I don't get invited anymore because they're being obedient. Because now their authority isn't ultimately Rome, it's Jesus. And this idea of obedience is this, also this idea of submission, of coming underneath the authority of Jesus. Jesus. Right, We like to read the Bible verses that he loves us and he forgives us, but what about those Bible verses that fly in our face that we need to obey because that's not my nature. That I need to obey because I'm going the wrong way. Right, We are set apart as holy by the Holy Spirit to be obedient. You see, what's different about the Christian is we have a different authority. We're submitted to Jesus and what he says. We are submitted to something greater than our own thoughts, ideas, and urges. There's something greater that we are submitting ourselves to. Because Jesus says, come follow me and I will give you life and life to the full. You see, following Jesus, obeying Jesus, produces flourishing. As humans, Jesus says, "I have come to give you life, not just life, but life to the full." The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come to give you life, and so I think a lot of times, at least in my heart, I think of obedience as being um, confined. I think of obedience as not getting what I want and and uh, having and getting what I what, what I desire. But Jesus says, no, "No, follow me. Come to me, and I will give you life and life to the full." And so this scripture that Peter writes is that we have been uh, chosen by God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus. Matthew twenty-eight twenty. right before Jesus leaves, he tells his disciples, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you Jesus says again in John 14 23-24 anyone who loves me will obey my teaching my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching these words you hear are not my own they belong to the father who sent me you see obedience is a big deal Obedience is a big deal. The Bible is not a Bible of suggestions. Jesus didn't speak with suggestions. He gave commands to be, to be obeyed. And God chose us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So the question that comes to my mind as I prepared this was what does obedience to Jesus look like in my life? Is there any area that I can point to in my life where I specifically do this or don't do this to be obedient to Jesus? Or do I just go throughout my life just assuming I'll just do my best, and if I mess up, I'm forgiven? No, 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 no. We are sanctified through the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Not just hear it or take it into under consideration, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And so what area of your life do you specifically make decisions because you want to be obedient, because you are consciously and intentionally submitting this area of my life to him? We can always find hope regardless of our circumstance and the fact That God has chosen us. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, setting us apart for a purpose, and that is to follow Jesus. And then my last point tonight is that you can always find hope because you have been forgiven by Jesus. You can always have hope because you have been forgiven by Jesus. We follow him and we obey him because we are forgiven. We have been forgiven a great debt by an even greater Savior. The last phrase in this, in verse two, says, you've been sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Kind of a weird way to end your introduction. (laughs) And sprinkled with his blood, what? For us, that sounds a little bit weird. If you've never read the Bible and you have no idea about the Old Testament, this sounds super weird. Like, sprinkle with blood. Like, wait, what? It's gross and inappropriate. Not to the audience that would have been reading and hearing this letter. Because they would have heard and sprinkled with his, Jesus' blood, as an immediate callback to Exodus 19 through 24. Where at Mount Sinai, God told Moses to set apart to sanctify Israel as God's chosen people by sprinkling the blood of the sacrificial animals on the people. You see, this is the way that God made a covenant with his people. He said, you will be my people and I will be your God. And they would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificed animals onto the Israelites. And this was a covenant that was made between God and them. And so, in this moment, as Peter says, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood is a callback to the covenant God made with the Israelites. This symbolized the covenant between God and the Israelites. And now we are sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus, chosen by God to be his people under a new covenant. You see, Peter right here is reminding them you are under a new covenant. One where there is forgiveness and renewal and redemption. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've thought or what you've said. This is a new covenant in Christ that one died for all, that all might be made new and brought in to the presence of God. The new covenant is the promise that God makes with humanity, that he will forgive sin And he will restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned towards him. Under the new covenant, we are given the opportunity to receive salvation as a free gift. Our responsibility is to exercise faith in Christ. God's done everything else. Our responsibility is to exercise faith in Christ. Ephesians 2 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, the new covenant sprinkled with his blood, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a, a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's the new covenant. You see, everyone listening to this letter would have heard, oh, sprinkled with the blood, the old, oh wait, Jesus has changed the whole game. It's no longer what i got to do and strive and work and try really hard. It's Jesus. It's by grace you have been saved through faith in Christ. And so regardless of our circumstance, we can find hope in that our salvation was planned by God the Father before creation ever existed. It was accomplished by the Jesus his Son and applied by the Holy Spirit. You see, the entire Trinity is responsible for the salvation of our souls. It's not just Jesus. God chose you, and he was the architect of the whole thing, and he sent his son Jesus to accomplish the work that we could not do, and he has given us the Holy Spirit to sanctify us and set us apart from the world for a new purpose, to follow Jesus and to be a signpost to this world that there is a new way, a better way and his name is Jesus. How awesome is that? That the Trinity, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son are all involved in our salvation. It was a team effort. So what do we do with this? This is how we end every week. What do we do with this? Number one, I just want to encourage you. Just this this, this take a minute. And When we're done, after you turn your phone or your computer off, take a minute. And Number one, Rejoice and rest in the knowledge that God has chosen you and made a new covenant with you through Jesus. Now joyfully follow him. Just rejoice and rest in the knowledge that the God of the universe has chosen you and has given us a new covenant in Jesus Christ. Now we can joyfully follow him and obey him. Number two, Is a question. Have you made the initial step of obedience? I don't know who's on the other side of this camera. Maybe you're joining us for the first time, or maybe you've been coming for a long time, and you've been doing the church thing. You have a said faith, but no saving faith. Your faith makes no difference in your life. Have you made the initial step of obedience by repenting and trusting Jesus for your salvation. Repenting is just a fancy word for turning. Turning from this life to the, your new life in Christ and putting your trust in him. Romans ten nine through 13. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved have you made the initial step of obedience surrendering your life to jesus christ who hung on a cross that we celebrated just a couple days ago that hung on a cross died and was risen again for you because he loves you and he wants to see you flourish he wants you to have life and life to the full And then lastly, what area of your life do you need to confess and bring into obedience to Jesus? Because God the Father has chosen us through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Is there an area of your life that you need to confess and repent, turn from, and walk in obedience. Say, Jesus, what do you tell me? What does your word inform me to do? To think, to say, to act, help me, Holy Spirit. That's one of his jobs, is to help us. And so tonight gathering, is it a moment for us to stop and confess that there's an area of our life that we're rebelling in? That I'm living in purposeful rebellion? bow our heads, confess that and repent from it and walk forward from this moment forward in obedience. Bring your people into help. Pray for you, call you, hold you accountable to that. So how then might our lives, our behaviors and our attitudes change even more knowing that the God of all creation chose you, sanctified you, and forgave you that you might be with him. My hope tonight is that you know and feel the reality of God's love and grace for you, that he loves you and he has given you undeserved favor that we cannot possibly fathom. And maybe knowing his love and grace, that might cause you to believe maybe for the first time and confess that Jesus is Lord. If you have never done that, we've got people online right now. Our prayer team is ready to go. They would love to pray with you. Shoot us an email. We would love to follow up with you. But maybe you're a Christian. Then what I hope is that this would encourage and embolden you with immense hope in the midst of your circumstance that God is sovereign, He is good, and he has set you apart for a particular purpose that will result in your flourishing, and it will display his glory, and it will be for your good. Let's pray. God, we come before you just, man, so thankful for the gospel of Jesus. So thankful that the world we see on the news and the the, the world that we see on our, our Insta feed, God, that that is not the best. That that's not where our hope lies. That our hope is in you who have chosen us, who have set us apart and sanctified us. And you have forgiven us by the shedding of your blood. God, I pray that you would do something tonight that we would never forget, that you would change us, that you would convict us, and that you would empower and embolden us to live out the hope of Jesus Christ that is not dead, but is risen and alive and active today. We pray these things in your name, amen.